Did you know that you can listen to our 24-7 talk and music stations using Amazon Echo? All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Lutheran Public Radio. Lutheran Public Radio. Or, Alexa, play Lutheran Talk Radio. Lutheran Talk Radio. Own thing, you know, there's this recognition that unrighteous mammon... Lutheran music, Lutheran talk, anytime, day or night, on Amazon Echo. The Bible tells us that to minister to the needs of God's creation is an act of worship. To ignore those needs is to dishonor the God who made us. And that is just what we're doing by walking away from this accord. The American left liked Russia a whole lot more when it was Marxist and communist than the American left likes Russia now. The fundamental problem for every society is the unattached male. The fact of the virginal conception, the fact that she is the Theotokos, the mother of God and so forth. We, we rejoice in those things because they tell us something special, not about Mary, but instead they tell us something special about Jesus, about who he is. Missouri dairy farmers love issues, etc. I've noticed something about uh, this age of progressivism we live here in 21st century America. I noticed that while the progress used to be considered uh, plodding, we're going to be careful and deliberate, we're going to move forward and move society forward in a considered and a very careful way, maybe even cautious progressivism of the past, all of that has gone out the window. Progressivism today has simply taken the brake off the off the train and decided to stoke the fire and go as fast down the track as it possibly can, make as much headway in as little time as possible. The rate of progress, so to speak, in modern progressivism is frankly alarming, and it's a challenge to those who are trying to raise Christian children in a nation that is, well, living in its age of progressivism. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're coming to you live from the 5th Annual Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking about raising children in an age of progressivism. Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest, and you can join us as well. Our Email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. And for those who are want to do so, if time permits, we'll open up the audience mic for questions as well as we broadcast from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference here in Collinsville. Joining us to talk about raising Christian children in an age of progressivism, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. He's host of Worldview Everlasting TV Live. He's a creative consultant to WeTV, producer of the Theological Storytelling Podcast. This is hard to pronounce. Rev Fisk Raw. Rev Fisk Raw. I'll let you pronounce it. And he's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Jonathan, welcome back to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. How do you respond to somebody who says, look, this is no different than any other age that Christians have found themselves in? Every generation of Christians have thought that they are living in the decline of something. They all have thought that they're living in the worst of mm. times. How do you respond to that? Well, I'd, I'd agree with them to some extent in that there's, there's a total element of truth in that. It's, if, there, if there's anything I think I've learned from history is that almost everyone in th- history thought they were living at the end of the world. And they made grandiose claims about that. And if you listen to today... You hear that as well, not only from Christian groups, but the, the populism movements of the last election, the, uh, the, the futurist movements of the singularity movement, people think we're going to join with human, or join with computers and, and, and reach uh, everlasting life. They, everyone believes we're at the fullness of history, and that's nothing new. So, yes, there is that, but in terms of the rise and fall of civilizations, uh, this is also a pattern you can trace throughout history. And so just because the world, just because your civilization's ending doesn't mean the world is ending. And just because the world's not ending doesn't mean your civilization isn't ending. And, and I would say then, I think we might just be near the end of, of whatever the civilization was. That doesn't mean that it's going to end in a cataclysm, necessarily, uh, but it does mean that the cultural norms which we expected to, to be the, uh, the assumptions of our worldview, uh, they are being undermined, they are falling apart. And whereas Christianity at one point was in line with that, at least kind of, morally speaking. Ten Commandments, eh, count the last four maybe, or, or count the last six, not the first four so much, um, speaking. I guess Fourth Commandment maybe, but 
Point being, we used to be in line with the culture and that as this drift is happening and as the culture is descending into, uh, you made me think in your introduction there, God catching the proud in the imagination of their hearts uh, and, and kind of trapping them in their own sin. As that happens, the dis- division between those who would be Christian and what they see in the world around them is just br- widening and widening at a, uh, I'll say, a compounding rate to go with your, your, your picking up of speed. Uh, compounding is a, a monetary idea that when you put interest into something and you let that interest stay there, you know, whatever you're, you're getting interest in the bank, that interest is now gaining interest. And at first it's very small, but you let that go for a lifetime and suddenly it begins to curve upward at a great exponential rate. And that seems to be what the progressive thinking is doing at this point to the culture. So how would you define progressivism? I have no idea. Uh, Insanity? Um, At this point... Okay, let's, let's do it this way. What makes progressivism different from progress? Oh, yeah, that's good. It, because progressivism is an ideology. It is a belief in a future that it's trying to attain by a certain kind of means. And to some extent, at least it used to be, I think, that means was, or that, that idea was progress alone. So the progress is toward more progress. I'm not sure it's doing that anymore. I think we actually have some more solid things uh, like Huh. I don't know, whatever the transgender movement, the, the homosexual movement has really latched onto, it's more than just change now for change's sake. There's something more, I think, diabolical at root, not that just homosexuality is diabolical, but that there is a, an anti-truth going on that's really deep. But, so def- defi- defining that change within progressivism in itself, and you've seen this a little bit as this past two years, there are individuals that at one point were even leaders in a pro-homosexual movement, homosexual rights movement, who have been ostracized and kicked out of that movement and treated quite violently, if you consider Twitter to be violence, uh, because they have, they have not jumped on the transgender movement. So they're, they're eating their own in a certain way. And why is that? Because it's not, again, it's not just about change at this point. So the difference between that and, say, progress, at least in theory, progress as a word means to improve something, to move toward a better thing. And certainly if you're in a bad place, you want to progress toward a, a good place. But if you're in a good place, you don't want to progress toward a bad place. So that's why you can't turn it into an ideology, into sort of a religion in and of itself. But, you know, I, I, your opening question, though, there with, with you know, how do I define pro- progressivism today? Because I do use the word a lot. And I, I'm, I, I don't know, and I want to. What is at root? What is driving them? And, and I, I would just fall back on sort of what, what Broken talks about at length is this idea of romanticism that was a reaction against modernism. That is, modernism trumpeted the mind of mankind as the answer to all our problems, and it led to World War I. That's painting with a very broad brush, but that's effectively what happened historically and then artistically. And at that point, the arts and sciences flipped in the other direction and began to to promote emotion as the the center to man's truth. And as we've chased that rabbit uh, harder and harder and harder, uh, we now are at a place where people people don't think they feel. And that that continues to be sort of at the the bottom of this. So so why is the, the transgender individual so convinced that you hate them? It's because their feelings about this are so strong. They're not able, normally, to have a logical argument or discussion about why you think God created the world, sent his son to die for the world, has a design for creation. They can't get that far to think, oh, there's a rational reason for this. All they feel is the pain. Uh, and, and so that, somehow that's at the root of what progressivism really is now. I'd go one more and I'd add to it. There's this, there's this thing called self-justification that we all are born with. And uh, the progressive movement is, is trapped in a need to justify its ideology, its, its movement forward. And it can't stop the train now that it's going this fast. Okay, so um, let's talk about that speed of progress. And I've often wondered whether it's just me getting older. And as you get older, time goes by quicker and you catch less of what's passing by and ask my wife how much I miss in the course of an ordinary day or just a single conversation. Um, And part of it is just me being me. And part of it is as, as one grows older, the world does seem to just time speeds up when you were a child, Mm -hmm. a week seemed like a year. And now the years seem like weeks and that's, that's how it, it seems. But I don't think it's just Wilkin getting older. Mm Hmm. Yeah. I think this, the, the speed of whether it's the social or the political agenda, whatever it may be, is breakneck. Yeah. I can't keep up with it. And then the minute you think they'll never go that far, they already have. 
a week late, you yeah. you read about it. Yeah. What is what's driving that kind? Of, no society can sustain itself with that kind of rapid change. That kind of change? No, uh, not at all. What's what's driving it is the internet, not as a ideology, but as a technology, and it's allowed us to do things that are really phenomenal. But as a result, so what's speeding up is not the internet. What's speeding up is information. Information is coming faster and faster and faster and crossing borders in ways that it never did before. So that somebody, an event that took place in, in China today could affect the stock market today, right? And, and, and maybe even faster than you could get there to deal with it. Yet there are computers that are watching this and making hyper macro, hyper micro investments that are buying and selling faster than you can read that are going to profit on that kind of a thing, right? So that's just one edge of where the information is just moving so quick. And those who have the, the power of the, the, the PC or the Mac or, or the understanding really can, can manipulate that. So with that, then you have the, the hyperdrive of entertainment to the point that we're now, there is so much, you could just pick whatever favorite medium you want. It doesn't have, I mean, YouTube would be its own medium. Movies would be its own medium. One channel on cable would be its own medium. And because you're a human being, you could not possibly watch everything they're going to be producing. It's just, it's just impossible. They have more coming out than, than we as individuals can possibly take in. So increasingly, we're having to decide, what am I listening to? What am I going to pay attention to? Is it flies past you, right? And as that's happening, then you have to, you get siloed into, self-selective understanding. So I'm going to pick the things that tell me that I'm right, right? Because that's what we do. <laughs> we, we self-justify constantly. And so we start increasingly uh, moving into a, uh, what we call a safe space, I suppose, for our, our mental thinking or our worldview. But the rest of the world is all that information. And you have other people that are, they're, they think they're getting into a safe space, but they're changing so fast that they're, they're unrecognizable from what you are or how you think. Um, so the pieces that link this together, and I, I can't, I haven't, don't have a doctorate on this or anything, right? So I'm no expert on it. I'm just kind of watching it and trying to keep my finger on it as best I can from my own head. The pieces are moving so fast. The technology is increasing, doubling in its, not size, but in its smallness and ability to do more every single year that, the information is outpacing us and our ability to absorb or understand it. And this is where the segue into, so how do I teach my children to live in this world, uh, really becomes imperative, especially if you're a people who believe that the word who became flesh is, well, he's not just information, but uh, his means of grace is information at this point, uh, lives in the realm of the knowledge of God. How do I, how do I segregate that information, that word, from the rest of it, while still remembering they have to live in this world. We can't go live in caves. It's, it's, we, we can't, actually. We'd all die if we tried, I think, at this point. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. We're broadcasting live from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, on this Friday, June the 9th, talking about raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. When we come back, we're going to talk about, well, progress used to have goals, kind of concrete goals. Let's build our highway through this country. What are the goals of progressivism? We are not so easily found Oh, but you can thank us later for The things we've handed down The church's music from the second century The 6th century. The 12th century. The 16th century. The 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues, etc. Christ Academy has been the most formative experience as I study to be a pastor. Hi, I'm Ian Kinney. 
I attended Christ Academy as a student, and now I work there as a proctor. You'll learn theology from seminary professors, have fellowship with other young men, hear God's word, and receive the sacrament in beautiful Kramer Chapel. Christ Academy, June 18th through July the 1st at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you're a high school man, visit ctsfw.edu slash Christacademy. ctsfw.edu slash Christacademy. Are you a homeschool parent looking for help teaching certain subjects? Or do you want your student to study the history, languages, and literature of Western civilization? Memoria Press Online Academy has live online classes with master teachers to help you. Their teachers have years of experience teaching, delighting, and moving students literally from all around the world. Your homeschool year doesn't have to be difficult. Visit memoriapressacademy.com or call 877-745-8866. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're broadcasting live from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. The live broadcast just kicks off the conference. Later tonight after dinner, we're going to hear Pastor Todd Peppercorn, author of I Trust When Dark My Road, make the case for a Lutheran view of depression. And then Terry Mattingly of Get Religion will join us, and we're going to talk with him about making the case for news discernment, all rounding off to this evening with prayer at the close of the day, Compline, and we start bright and early tomorrow morning at 8.30 with morning prayer. We'll hear from Chris Rosebro making the case against modern-day prophets and apostles. Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, making the case for the Reformation's relevancy. The case for natural law will be made by none other than Aaron Wolf of Chronicles Magazine. We'll have lunch and a hymn sing with Pastor Will Whedon, and then Pastor Peter Bender will be the speaker, making the case for a Lutheran piety. All of it's capped off with two events, a roundtable Q&A after dinner, then the divine service. That's how it goes. Now, you can still register for tonight and tomorrow if you pay at the door for $80. Or if you can only come Saturday, bring $60. Neither of those discounted rates includes the meal plan. We just simply can't provide for that. But you're still welcome to come out to 1300 Beltline Road in Collinsville, Illinois, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, for the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. We're talking about raising children in an age of progressivism. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Jonathan, what, the goals of old school, let's just talk about Christian progressivism hmm. or Christian progress, was sick people need help, let's build a hospital. We have hospitals because Christians thought them up. People need to be educated. Let's build a school or a university. They've all been taken over by progressives now. Mm -hmm. They had goals that were oriented, it seems, toward serving the neighbor. What are the goals or the orientation of the goals of progressivism? Yeah, it it seems like that has really kind of changed in its direction. You said to me in the break, you know, where are the hospitals that they're building? Now, I think there are some, and I, I don't want to throw the the current era under the bus entirely, and that there certain there seems to be this this drive for charity, or at least giving money to large charitable organizations or organizations that purport to be doing charity, which still uh, plays on a lot of progressives. But well, what are they actually trying to build? What are they actually working toward? What is the future that they they hope to see? It, it's certainly not the American dream. It, it gets a, a little. It's one of those places in life where I am personally really tempted by conspiracy theories. Uh, I try to avoid them as often as possible because uh, you just go crazy. But the idea that the the radical ideology of the present really has the destruction of of Western civilization in a Marxist mindset uh, at root, that is, that in order for the workers' paradise to arise, the current capitalist uh, destructive place has to collapse and from the ashes we will build the workers paradise you start to wonder if that isn't really part of what's going on behind it all um, you also got to give the, the devil a little bit of credit he is the prince of this age and he he's pulling strings that we don't even know exist in terms of the movement of powers and principalities and all that kind of stuff so to get down and ask well does does the movement itself actually have an agenda at this point besides 
eating itself to death. Uh, I don't know that I could pinpoint that. I think, and, and this is maybe part of the hyper-individualization of what's gone on as well. Back in the age of the, the Christian progress, you were building toward, it was wrong, but they called it the kingdom of God. I mean, they, they thought we were going to build the kingdom of God on earth. So you're building toward a community, right? Whereas now, we the individuals far surpass the community. What I want is really what's important. What you want, I don't care. We love each other until you're in my way and then get out of my way, right, kind of thing. And that's, that's the way that, that our our mindset has approached almost everything so that you, to, to answer the question, what is the ideology that's driving us, there isn't one. Um, but each individual is, is hyper-driven by something that is unique to them, even to the point where uh, uh, they're striving to, be, uh, to have a, a unique purpose just unto themselves. I'm going to give one example. There's a wonderful book uh, I've recommended before called The Narcissism, Narcissism Epidemic by Gene Twenge. Um, and it talks about how the, the under 40, under 30 generation kind of is uh, on, the, on the classic psychological narcissism scale. We're up a couple ticks. Right, so so back in the day, everybody would end up like somewhere around a four or five, uh, which was kind of healthy. And now, just about everyone in my generation ends up more like a seven. And you get to ten, and you're you're dealing with like mega maniacal, mega maniacal personalities who don't care about anybody else, right? And we, we've moved up in that direction. One of the examples they gave, which just it just cut me to the heart, um, was uh, it talked about the rise in unique names for children, and how there is a there's a disassociation with the names of the past. That is the community of our fathers. We used to name your, your kid after yourself or after your father or your grandma or whatever. And, and an attempt to name your kid something that they alone will have. And I'm, I'm case number one for that. I won't say my kids' names right now, but I tell you, every single kid along the way, we tried to name uniquely. And we were so frustrated when the second one we named, we thought it was really unique. And we found out it was the second most popular name in her generation. Like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, right? So this, this hyper individual, that's all to share the hyper individualization. What is the ideology? It's whatever I happen to say it is. And then if you can sway enough people with emotion to get into a group thinking you agree with them, and it really doesn't matter if you do, they just have to be convinced that you agree with them. This is the beauty of Trump and Sanders on both sides. They're, people are convinced they agree with them, but we don't even actually know what they're, they're teaching or saying. Um, uh, then you can move a movement. So you get back to Nietzsche's strongman, right? The will to power. Uh, the, the, the guy who can get the bundle of sticks to, to move in the same direction. It does, he doesn't care about the sticks if he breaks a few as long as you all get in the same direction, but then you can't break the bundle of sticks. That's fascism by definition. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Now you're talking about fascism. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to that. Uh, let's stay in the, in the hearth and the home. You had mentioned that one book on narcissism, another book. I mentioned this because Terry Mattingly just tweeted this, daring me to mention it. Um, Rod Dreher has written, he's a regular guest on the program from the American Conservative, and he's, and he's written the book, uh, The Benedict Option. Uh. He's actually going to be presenting The Benedict Option at our next conference in November down uh. in Houston, Texas. And uh, he is talking to Christians and to the church in general, uh, especially in America, about thinking about living without all of the benefits that have accrued to us as citizens in this country they may be taken away from us or withheld from us or perhaps even just uh, no longer be available to everybody precisely because we are Christians. Mm-hmm. He's telling people that the future for raising children in this, this America as it looks today is going to get a lot harder before it ever gets any easier. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with him. And I think that there's, I mean, without having read the book at all, right, I have no idea, but I know Benedict and I know the monastery, and I know the rule of Benedict, which wasn't quite the Carthusian disaster that the late Middle Ages had. Whether or not we intentionally begin to choose to ghetto ourselves, or whether or not they're going to do it to us, I think we need to be prepared mentally for it. It's, I think it's coming one way or the other. And if, if, if you're smart, you build your own ghetto, right? Uh, before someone puts you in one they built for you. Um, and, and again, when you look at the, the culture's the subcultures that are currently dying in the United States, of which Lutheranism is one, and we need to acknowledge that. Uh, there are a few that are not, and one of the most shocking is the Amish. The Amish are expanding and buying land because there's so many of them, they can't stay on the land they've had since 1800s. Yeah, plus they're having kids, too. Well, that kind of has something to do with it, uh, but it's, it's half of it. Because the other half is they're not just having kids, they're keeping kids. We Lutherans, we haven't had kids, we haven't kept kids. We, we, we've lost on both ends. And maybe there's something to that that goes together. I'm, I'm, I don't have any research to back that up. I, I have a hunch on it. Um, but 
I mean, you know, the Amish, they have this thing where they go out, I forget what they call it, but they, they go out at a certain age and experience the world for a year. You would think they would all stay if it's so great out here. They don't. They go back. They stay with their, their families. And so, you know, kind of transitioning now, at least from my mind, toward, toward family again a little bit, toward hearth a little bit, probably the most radical thing we are doing in our home is we are instilling in our children the knowledge that we desire them to live close to us, if at all possible, for the rest of their lives, preferably on the same block. Now, they're over there somewhere, right? So, you know, I don't want to embarrass them too much. Um, I, I am trying to instill that idea in them in the full knowledge that the odds are just dead against me. It just it is so unlikely it's going to happen. So my wife and I talk about getting a motorhome in retirement instead of a house, right? So we can go visit them, all that. But what, I, what that, this gets toward the Benedict Option idea, which is that we're thinking for, our, for the sake of their faith. This isn't so we can have barbecues. I like barbecues too, but that's not why we're doing this. It's for the sake of their faith, for the sake of re- retaining a community in which we're holding the same worldview. We are trying to plant the seed that the best option is a small community that is intimately connected to each other and that shares things in common, and maybe even shares land or, or extended housing or ho- however you want to organize it. Now, t- to convince your average Christian in the pew to do this, not just with their family, but to even think about this as, as, a, as a congregation is, um, well, uh, we're, in, we're, in, we're fishing water, and the topic we are talking about that's so dangerous is the water, and how do you get the fish to recognize the water? That, that's where I felt as a parish pastor I would pull my hair out the most. It's just like we don't even see that we're, that we're drowning. You think back to the start of the Missouri Synod where some guy who happened to be half a cult leader at least but still was able to convince three shipfuls of people to sell everything they owned, travel across the planet, and plant a colony for the sake of what historically at least was the right to not have the Lord's Supper from a Calvinist hand. I don't think I could convince you to to do that for, for anything in our You can't doctrine. get people to show up for a regular communion service, much less travel across the right. world. Right. And so, so I'm curious, you know, what, what the Benedict Option proposes, but I'm, I'm doubly curious um, how on earth it would propose we go about uh, waking up the minds of the, 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 the blissfully ignorant at the moment, uh, the, the frog in the pot. Okay, so you've talked briefly there for a moment about kind of your long-term goals raising Christian mm. children, and for the, as you said, for the sake of the faith, talking to them about, you know, you don't have to move away. You don't even have to move that far away, which is not that far back in our history, a common experience mm. in at least rural America, where people would, they might be a section over. They might be a half mile down the road, but they were still within if not shouting distance, they were within a very short walk of one another. That was simple economic necessity, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. So how do we be, turn our minds back as parents? For some of us, it might be too late, but turn our minds back as parents to say, okay, I need to think f- more like my, my ancestors yeah. than I might be comfortable with. Well, as a young man, I think it was partially economic necessity that made me start thinking this way. I mean, I didn't hear the term uh, education bubble until about two and a half years ago, but I kind of had the feeling for about six or seven years before that college education might not always be what you need, and it might just be a pyramid scheme. Um, Now, I I think that for certain uh, courses of life, certain vocations, you definitely want to have what a a college education can give you. But this idea that that I grew up with, which was that, well, you're going to go to college. Everyone goes to college. If you go to college, you can't get a good job. Not only is that just blatantly untrue, most of the mega companies of today were built by guys that dropped out of college uh, or, or founded the company in college and then graduated and stayed with the company kind of thing. Um, but, but on top of that, it's a, it's a pocketbook issue that I simply, with five children, I, there's no way I'm taking out enough loans to get those four kids, five kids through college. Uh, there's just not a chance of that. Too bad, kids. Yeah. Well, after we, well, I can tell you about our plans. I mean, we, we got other ideas. There's other ways. There, there's counter counterintuitive slow steps you can take to try to make sure your kids still get educated because we definitely want that but uh, the pocketbook is, is where this kind of came out so it was it was me realizing look I, I will not be able to financially do this what are the other options that made me really step back and start thinking about that that entire picture and so 
to some extent, this also may be an issue of necessity, that there may be a need for us to bind, bound together more as families simply because it's the only option that we have. If the current generation, my generation, is barely able to get off of mom and dad's couch, let alone uh, buy a home, how are we going to send kids through school? Now, of course, half of us aren't having kids, which is a whole other issue, um, which brings me back to one more piece. And this is, I don't remember what she said that reminded me of this, but this is, is really uh, pretty stunning in terms of living together in homes and what that means and how hypocritical we are as a culture right now. There is a, a movie out there I've recommended before called The Demographic Bomb, and uh, it, I think you can get part of it for free online. But in it, they interview this particular scientist from China who had done some research which showed quite clearly that the, the real issue with global warming is everyone having their own apartment when they go away. And that if we would just have people actually live in family groups of four or five instead of all each having an apartment for every single person in New York City, we would cut down on these massive amounts of wasted water and electricity and all the stuff that we're, that we're using up. So, you know, as they scream, you know, the sky is falling on the environments. It's funny how no one's really willing to actually take a step that impacts their own individual pursuits, right? And that's, that's back to what we were talking about earlier. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. We'll take another break as we broadcast live from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. We're talking about raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Is it possible that the biggest obstacle facing Christian parents in this goal might be the church herself? We'll talk about that after this. There are nearly 20 million college students in the United States. 40% will stop going to church during college. 50% will never return. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is seeking to meet this challenge through LCMSU. Why? Because 100% of college students matter to God and to His church. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. LCMSU. Check us out at lcms.org slash lcmsu. If you've ever attended an Issues Etc. conference or any number of events that take place across the Senate and have wondered why more people from my congregation aren't here, check out the special seminar package the CLCC is offering for the 500th anniversary. All you need so the pastors of your circuit can organize, promote, and present a seminar that appeals to the members of your congregation, even the youth, is provided free by the CLCC. Just go to the CLCC.org and click on the blue box, or check us out on Facebook. I'm Pastor Todd Ravi. I serve a congregation here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, our Redeemer Lutheran Church, a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All of the saints here gather around blood, water, and spirit as theologians of the cross every Sunday morning at 1030. We only welcome sinners. We certainly would welcome you. If you'd like to contact us through our website, you may do so at faylcms.org. Do you have a student finishing up eighth grade at a Lutheran school? Do you wish there were a Lutheran high school close to where you live so your student could continue going to a Lutheran school? What if there was an opportunity for high school students in public or Lutheran school to take classes like Latin, logic, and hard-hitting theology courses? Well, there is. It's called Wittenberg Academy, the first completely online classical Lutheran high school. Visit our website, wittenbergacademy.org, to find out more. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Your pastor has been called to shepherd you as a member of Christ's flock. Doxology offers an innovative program of advanced study retreats where your pastor can be refreshed, renewed, and refocused. Find out more at doxology.us. Many pastors report that doxology has been one of the most valuable learning experiences since seminary. Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Doxology.us. Doxology.us. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. 
Concordia University, Wisconsin, is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issues etc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by and Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about raising Christian children in an age of progressivism with Pastor Jonathan Fisk of Worldview Everlasting TV. Uh, this is a touchy subject, but you kind of stepped into it a few minutes ago, and that is, is it... What? Me? Huh? Yeah. Is it, is it possible that one of the biggest obstacles parents might find to raising Christian children in an age of progressivism might be found in the church herself? The answer, the answer to that is yes, uh, but I think you've got to be really careful how you define the church, and I, I'm going to do that, but first I want to give you a present. <laughs> oh. um, I, I, I bought this book for you. I thought you could use it. It's called Reasons Not to Be Lutheran. It's uh. available on Amazon.com. You can actually read it right now. Just flip through it. You can read it right now. Let's see. Oh, it's just a bunch of blank pages. <laughs> so, I figured nice. you'd appreciate that. I'll use it as a notepad. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bullet journal. Um, You got to define the church. So when you say that the church is the hindrance, you got to be careful because the church has a number of definitions, and we certainly don't want to say that the communion of the saints is absolutely not right. Right. That's the solution, not the problem. Right. So so and there in that the church being the communion of the saints, that is Christians gathered around the Word. We recognize that that reality of God calling, gathering, enlightening, sanctifying his children by his spirit in that word takes place in real time and space, which involves those people showing up at places. And those places are what we now call churches, right? Uh, Or sometimes we use the church as a word to describe the big organization that binds all those places together. But neither of those things, the place, the building, the organization that manages the place, the local congregation, uh, nor the, the, we call ours a synod, but church body, uh, the, the grouping of uh, organizations and how they are all structured together, none of those things are, properly speaking, the church. They can be for the good of the church, but something that can be for the good of the church but is not of the essence of the church can also be for the bad of the church, particularly when you say it's for the necessity of the church. And so with that kind of being the context, are we in a place where the cultures supported by those organizations we call congregations are not those which are going to support you doing something as crazy as saying, I'm having five children, they're probably not going to go to college in a normal way, um, and we're inviting them to all live at home. The kind of look that I would get if I were to just come out and say it that, that plainly, um, actually, I, I don't know if I ever would have said it that plainly when I was a parish pastor. I probably would have been a little bit afraid to, because I know I would have burnt a small bridge with somebody who'd just be confused. They would just be totally confused by what are you talking about? How can you possibly not send your kids to college? You have to go to college to have a good life. And how do you begin then to just share with them, well, it's true that there are advantages higher education can provide you toward a career. Absolutely. Um, but it may not be true that subjecting my children to sensitivity training and uh, worldview de- demolition in an environment which they don't attend a congregation that preaches for four years straight at the most malleable time of their life, I'm not all for that one, right? I'm, I'm kind of against that one. So is the church part of the problem? Yes, because the church has as much of American or whatever you call it, post-American culture running its structure and running its decision-making uh, as it has um, uh, our theology or our belief system or desire to retain the faith until our Lord returns. And let me give you one more example that I know is a super hot button and will make everybody angry. Um, you're supposed to laugh, people. Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a big difference between a tactic and a strategy or a principle and a practice, however you want to say it. And in theory, the, the tactic is developed in order to make the strategy happen. So let me give you uh, uh, an example of each. One, one strategy, one principle, one thing that can't change is that we need to educate our children in the faith. We need to catechize our kids. One tactic for catechizing our children in the faith is vacation Bible stu- school. In my experience, we will die 
rather than stop vacation Bible school. Educating our kids? Eh. And if they happen to come into conflict, which one do we pick? The tactic. Now, I'm not against the idea of EBS, so please don't hear me saying that. I'm against the idea of elevating the tactic above even the question, is it working at what the principle, at doing what the principle is? Are our kids staying? And if they're not staying, well, then is VBS and Sunday school working? And if it's not working, then what's wrong? Those are questions we're not supposed to ask, right? And so you have have families then begin not wanting to send their kids to this stuff, and then they get chatted by members of the congregation. I've seen this happen not not only to myself, but, but to other members of the congregation. Why aren't your kids in Sunday school? And they can't really say, well, I don't trust it, right? Um, there was, a, I'll tell a really nasty story um, about a, a, a friend of mine, a compatriot of mine, pastor of the Missouri Synod, the first parish he was called to serve. One of the Sunday school teachers was an atheist. Openly. Didn't go to church, but taught Sunday school. I mean, they needed someone to teach Sunday school, and she was willing. Because you can't not have Sunday school. See, and, and hopefully that demonstrates like the, the, the divide I'm trying to show, right? Uh, can Sunday school be used to teach, teach children? Yes. But right now, our commitment to the, the outward form is far greater than our commitment to what the form is designed to, exi- to, to, to do. Scott asks this. He says, I was hoping Pastor Fisk could comment on this quote from G.H. Labor in Der Lutheran, or that was the old German language version of what has become the Lutheran witness. Here's the quote. By all means, it was a chief objective of our immigration that we, above all, guard our children against unchristian schools so the youth studying among us would also be prepared in a Christian manner for their future callings, following the pattern of the ancient Lutheran churches as is, unfortunately, not exactly the case with most students taught in Germany. We also still have our eyes on the goal and will not give up on it, God willing, so long as we shall live. And Scott asks, do Lutherans recognize how much they are capitulating to the culture with regard to Christian schooling? Oh, not a chance. Um, and But that's all of us. So, I mean, I, don't hear me being above this. I am so submersed in this culture, I know I got blind spots in my own world. So, uh, but, but there's just no way that, that we've thought about this deeply. Not as deeply as, as some of the pagans. There's a gentleman out there named Seth Godin. He's a marvelous entrepreneurial thinker. He will challenge you to, to ask good questions. That's his main goal. And he's got his, his side pocket is education. He's all about education. And he is not against public school. And he comes out, he says that very clearly. I'm not against public school, but I'm all for homeschool because you need both. And here's what he means. He says, from the moment you pick your kid up at 3.30, you have six hours that you need to be schooling them because if you don't, they won't learn what you want them to learn. Now, that guy understands education far better than I would say just the average person in America does and far better in application than the average uh, human being is honestly able to apply. Why do we homeschool? I'm lazy. I, I, want, I want to not have to do it in my six hours where I'm not at work at hard, as hard as I can be, right? I want to be able to have my wife spend the time with them during the day and getting some of that done so that we, we have an easier task, as it were. So, so that, don't, don't see me as saying like homeschooling is just more virtuous, you could do it. You could do the public homeschool thing where you're doing what he's saying. I think it could be done, but you're, you're up against a wall in many ways. So, uh, now did I answer the question right? Uh, what was the actual question? Well, I heard the do, quote. Do, do, do we realize how much we've capitulated yeah. in Christian schools to the culture? And no, no. And, and, and this comes back to the same question I was just asking earlier. The, the Walter's quote there is part of his belief about what, it, what the essence of the church is. And if you read his Church in the Office of the Ministry, CPH has uh, recently released a new edition by President Harrison uh, as the editor, uh, you will find that there are six duties of the congregation that Walter says are irrevocable. They're, they're duties that we are given no matter what. Um, and it's interesting that he puts it in this language, because this is pretty strong language. But he, he says one of those duties is to start a Christian day school and have your children go to it. I didn't learn this at seminary. I learned this at Bethany Lutheran Church and School where that was actually built into the Constitution. They, they formed their Constitution around the six duties of the church. I was like, well, that's kind of clever. Um, you know, uh, but, but so the reason we have the schooling uh, system that we do today is because of that belief system. So that wherever you found Lutheran churches, you found Lutheran schools, if it could be done, right? It wasn't like you do it or you're going to hell. It was like, if it can be done, do it. They did it. We have this huge system that has arisen that shoves through on a regular basis lots and lots of people, some of, Lutheran, some of them Lutheran, some of them not. And again, I ask the question, just in honesty, why aren't they going to church after 18 or after 12? 
Where are they? And are we committed to the educating of our children or are we committed to the structure that we have? And it's a strength. Don't hear me wrong. Having this many schools, why are the Catholics doing so well for Pete's sake? I mean, it's not like they're doing great, but they're doing better than we are because they still use their schools to make Catholics. They may not be good Catholics, but they know that if you leave the Roman Catholic Church, you're going to hell. And so they stay. And they give money. Right now, I'm not saying that this is really healthy, right? But they, they at least are imparting like kind of their primary doctrine to their people. Are we? And that's not something you can necessarily answer on a wide picture. But I think if you're a principal, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent at every level, you need to be asking that question. And if you don't have a Lutheran school, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle that the public schools now are, are teaching transgenderism in kindergarten? Maybe they're not at your school yet. Give it a year, you know, a little time. The, the bathroom issue, all that. I mean, what are you going to do? It's just, and there's no, don't hear me saying my answers are the right answers. I'm trying to, to apply tactics based on the strategy. I think I have the right strategy, which is Christianity, right? But the tactic, how do I actually navigate it with this? That, that's hard. So context does influence that a great deal. Uh, but uh, we've we got to be able to get to a point where, as structured Christians, we can question our tactics and adjust them as we have need, right? Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. We're broadcasting live from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, talking about raising Christian children in the age of progressivism. When we come back, we're going to talk about that technology that we started with. The technology is ubiquitous, and it's not going away. How do you deal with it as a Christian parent? Your children, the technology that they're exposed to, the technology that they want and in many cases will need to live as a modern citizen. Have you put off your decision to attend the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference to the very last minute? That's okay. You can still register for $80, but the registration fee won't include the meal plan. Register today at issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. 618-223-8385. The fifth annual Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th in Collinsville, Illinois. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. An average of 20 military veterans kill themselves every day. Project Operation Barnabas is a network of LCMS congregations who reach out to veterans and their congregations and their communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Find out more at lcms.org slash armed forces. Serving those who serve. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. lcms.org slash armed forces. If you've ever wondered why Amazing Grace is the national anthem of funerals or pondered the state of your eternal soul after you die, The Lutheran Witness has you covered. Check out the June and July issue of The Lutheran Witness to learn more about death, dying, heaven, and hell. Not a subscriber? Visit cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness for a special offer of $6.99 for six digital or print issues. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Broadcasting live from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. 
at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. We're talking about raising Christian children in an age of progressivism with Pastor Jonathan Fisk of Worldview Everlasting TV. Jonathan, you started out by talking uh, briefly about kind of the rapidity of this progress and that it's tied in some ways to the, not just to the technology, but to the, the way that information flows and moves now with the new technology. This is my rose gold iPhone. If I lost it, if I lost it, I'd be more worried than if I lost my dog. Yeah, sure. I guarantee you. I'd say the dog, ah, she lived a good life. Why the rose? Because I'm just that kind of guy. Okay. Um, But, so I need this. Yeah. You probably have one too. And at some point, your children are going to say, Daddy, I need me a rose gold iPhone. I have to have it. Not only do other kids have them, but it, is be- it has become a tool of everyday life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I could not do my job as well as I do with this guy texting me or sending me email at 6.15 this morning if I couldn't roll over in bed and answer the email right. with that thing. Right. So what do you do with your kids in this kind of technology? And again, this is where I can give you some tactic, right? Uh, more than the strategy. I mean, the strategy is... The fact that you just, you just gave us a strategy, they have to be able to navigate it in order to live in this society unless we're going to go be the Amish. If, if you want to be in a, in, a, in a modern economy, it is an information economy and you need the tools of that economy to, to participate in it. And even as you just talked about the idea of a deployed work, that work, information work is no longer tied to a place. You guys probably still go to the office every day, but I, I, my guess is you treat it less like you have to be there for so many hours as there are things that you do there that can only be done there. But the work is always. And so you need the tool to allow you to work always. Um, how, do you, how do you start uh, trying to do this with kids? Well, we started early with something that, again, we took a ton of flack for, which was we didn't show our kids TV until they were five. And that's slightly lost a little bit with the youngest who's three now. But not much, not much, just a little bit. Um, and the reason for this was because uh, the media ecologists, those who study these tools and have been doing so since well before the internet basically said don't do it it'll it'll slow their brain development it'll it'll teach them to not think about what they're watching give them books first get them into books and reading so they have to have a logical thought first and then they begin to they can watch the tv and what was so fascinating i remember the first time every one of them the first time we show them a movie doesn't matter what movie in fact we, we pick really nice ones we pick like the sound of music we pick fantasia they are terrified because the evil that they see, the bad in the movie, the, the, the villain, is, is so overwhelming as an idea to them that they just, they're shaking. They can't even finish it. We've got to turn it off, right? And that, that told me the power of this stuff. It's so powerful. Um, and so how do you teach them to, to not be blind to, to the influence that's being pushed on them? We didn't let them see TV until they were five. We started then gradually introducing, slowly, with picked movies. They don't get to just watch TV. We pick movies that have a certain worldview, which may or may not entirely coincide with our worldview, but which we will talk about after. So I'm working them through the Marvel comic book hero movies because they're about heroes and, and you people just of watch. virtue. You and just I, watch I want to watch them too. Um, but <laughs> Captain America is a good guy. And I want my son to want to be Captain America. Uh, you know, Tony Stark, as bad as he is, has moments where he has to self-sacrifice. I want my children to embrace the idea of self-sacrifice. So, so we're, we're careful about picking films that will still give something that agrees with us. We're not going to show them just whatever they want. We certainly don't let them run free on the kids' channel because uh, that's full of propaganda. Uh, so what about the, the toys? Well, individually, we have never bought a single uh, media toy for them. Uh, their their father has an Xbox, um, and so Minecraft became a thing eventually uh, for them. Uh, which, by the way, as a as a toy and a tool, Minecraft is about as good as you can get because it is it is engineering in a box. It is just really clever. Um, but we, you know, they would the the, the pieces of technology that, that Meredith and I would have would get passed down to them. So right now there is a old Kindle and there is an iPad two that kind of is the kids version, but they have. Uh, very strict limitations. Uh, they have uh, the main screen on the iPad 2 is where the apps they can actually use are, and they're not allowed to go past it. If we ever catch them doing anything like that, they're, they're off of it. Uh, and those apps are very, very limited, drawing programs, things like that, to just get them to be able to, and free to, to use the, the thing. My second child recently realized she had enough money she could buy herself a, a Kindle Fire. 
Um, and so that was an interesting conversation. Uh, and she, we let her, we let her buy it. Um, but there was a certain amount of trust that she had also earned in her behavior, which led me to believe that I could put the child settings on and then also tell her, don't go further than this, this, and this. And she said, I, father, I won't. And I trust her at this point. She knows that the moment she does, and I find out it's gone. Uh, but, uh, so we're trying to gradually introduce them. So what's on her Kindle Fire? Well, uh, this uh, books, <laughs> right? Um, the the, uh, the Wizard of Oz entire series. Uh, there's a number of uh, kids' books. We don't have the Harry Potter series yet, but we're going to build the library up and those kinds of things go on. There are things, again, that we think have redeemable elements in, the, in them. We'll let them use the technology in a way that accords with their worldview and not be ignorant of it, but we're not going to throw them to the wolves by just saying, here's the internet, have fun, because um, that's just a recipe for disaster. So finally, let's talk about just two moments in the parenting life with only about a minute here. Morning and bedtime. Right. What do you do first thing in the morning oh, yeah. and last thing before you go to bed with children those crucial moments, raising yeah. them in a progressive yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I'm on the radio at 7 a.m., um, it's, uh, it's a little challenging to do much with them, but, but we actually do it this way because the first hour uh, that, that I do on KFUO is devotion. It is scripture and meditation on scripture. It is mandatory that, that they listen to the radio. Now, the little ones aren't as good at it. They'll run around, they do, but, but they're, they're supposed to sit there. They can draw, they do whatever, but they have to listen to Father teach. They have to listen to Father teach the Bible. So that's in the morning. In the evening, uh, Mother sings psalms and songs and uh, various pieces of the liturgy, and she, she reads to them. Um, depends on what she's reading. It's not always scripture. We have gone in and out of after-dinner devotions. It always is how yeah, we get it going, and then it falls apart. And then we get it going, and then it falls apart, and I'm sure you know that story well enough. Um, but those, those pieces, the mealtime is just huge. Um, but somehow, someway, one point in the day, I would even say, just get one, where you, as head of household first, are demonstrating, this is what I believe is the most important thing in the world. And then your spouse, if they agree with you on this, also find a spot where, separate from you as husband, um, she's doing that as well. Is it impossible, the person who looks at the world as we described it early in this conversation, the mother and the father who says, I got my kids, but I'm afraid of raising them in the America I live in right now. What would you say to them pastorally? Um, well, good. Good for you. It means you're watching. Um, I would say also, uh, aside from what, what, where do you want to move? Where, where's better? Let's, let's figure it out and go. But aside from that, We're all going to die. Someone's going to kill us. Someone's going to take it away eventually. And you're a Christian because Jesus is alive. What have you to fear? Now, granted, my kid's falling away. I can't control that thing. But they're baptized into Christ. The only command I have is put the food around their faces. If they don't eat it, it's on them on the last day. But saving them's on God. And the promise is what saves them. So put the food of the promise in their faces and keep doing it over and over again and recognize that the word does not return void. I mean, we, we can't control it. We, can't, we cannot make our children be faithful. That is impossible. But the promise is the thing that creates the faith which will stand on the last day. And so, trust the promise. Trust the promise for yourself because you believing it, frankly, is going to be what the thing that makes you confess it. So, don't be afraid. I mean, be afraid of what's out there, but then remember, though they take our life, goods, fame, child, wife, will these all be gone? The battle still is won, and the kingdom of ours remaineth, because the valiant one is fighting for you. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of Worldview Everlasting TV, live creative consultant to Worldview Everlasting TV, and producer of the theological storytelling podcast, Rev Fisk Raw, author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Jonathan, thank you very much for being our guest. It's a blast. It's a privilege. I remember uh, when the fear set in for me as a, as a Christian parent, and uh, there's not a lot of success stories to tell out of the Wilkin house in terms of uh, Christian parenting. We were just kind of average. My wife was born to be a mother and a wife. She did a great job. I just kind of, uh, like the proverbial blind squirrel, occasionally happened upon a nut. But when the fear set in, and I realized that uh, this is not a friendly place, whether we're living in 21st century America, beset by progressivism and the breakneck speed at which we seem to be sending our 
our uh, society and our country into that handbasket of hell. Uh, when that dawned upon me, I expressed it to somebody. I don't know who it was. And they said, and it was probably just some wise parishioner of mine, they said, you know, you need to remember, Pastor Wilkin, that God loves your kids more than you do. He loves them more. He's the one who saw about bringing about their salvation through the water and word of holy baptism. He's the one who saw to it that they were given Christian parents and raised in the Christian faith. And he's the one who, even if they stray, will remain good to his promises and will remain good to that love that he has for them. That's probably the best place to face the world as Christian parents as we go toward, well, wherever society is taking us in terms of progress. And that is to remember that in Jesus Christ, for his sake, God loves our kids more than we do. I'm Todd Wilkins, so long from the 5th Annual Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. We would like to overlook the difficulty of daily repentance and death to our sins in the interest of progressing to a more advanced spirituality. Rebecca Curtis from her new audiobook, Ladylike, Living Biblically. Somehow, spiritual advancement always amounts to our getting to spend more time on the things we like and calling it stewardship or service. You can purchase and download an audio version of Ladylike Living Biblically at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Ladylike Living Biblically by Rebecca Curtis and Rose Adel. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend... Rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org.